Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. So, I do this here from my kitchen tape. Right, that's just what I do. It's no big deal. And it's always interesting because, like, I look at it, and whenever I do TV, it's from, you know, I do it from the same place, all the stuff, right? Um, and so, whenever I do it, all you see is me, right? Like, you just get this shot that comes back here of me. Man, if you can see, like, all the chaos that surrounds this. It is so, so, so much chaos that surrounds this. It is bananas. Um, anyway, that was my thought. Uh, as you guys know, I very often try to uh, give you guys some variety of story or something along those lines. Um, but I don't really have one because, like, how much different, you know, what I've done in the last week, right? However, I will tell you something that is happening in New York City that you may or may not be aware of, but is actually fairly interesting. And so New York legalized uh, marijuana, like not even no decriminalized, like this seemed to be like a legalization situation. Um, and the, 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 they put it in there that you can have, I think it's three ounces of marijuana on your person and five pounds of it at your house. They also declared that you can smoke marijuana in the city any place where you can smoke cigarettes. And I got to say, from my understanding of that world, those numbers are pretty high. Like three ounces of weed on your person if you are a dude, I guess you might be rocking the Jan Sport. Like, you know, I do the designer bags, and maybe you could do it that way if you wanted to. But, like, I don't think you're just going to be walking around with that in your pocket. You're just begging to get robbed, right? Five pounds at your house. For what? <laughs> For what? Like, I haven't gone through all the particulars on this, but I've always assumed that the laws that are then put in place when these places legalize also put in like some big stuff to make sure that people ain't out here you know on some like you know unregulated sales stuff you don't pay tax on and i mean again you guys may know more about this world than i do it is entirely possible but i feel like you are only doing five pounds worth if you are a retailer of sorts in fact you might even be a wholesaler but you are definitely in this for commercial reasons. If you got five pounds of it at your house, I figured that would be the exact person they trying to shut down. Like, just hit them with the, you got a little bit of it or whatever. Okay, we figure that's all your own. Police pull you over and you got five pounds weed. You have no argument that you plan to smoke all that weed. Unless, like, this is a lifetime project from my understanding of what this is. But I, they put it in there that people can smoke weed on the streets, which I think they put in there because people already smoke weed on the streets, right? Like, if you had it in New York where people could legally smoke weed, but they could not smoke weed on the streets, the police would not have any work that they would be able to do because all they would be doing is jamming people up, smoking weed on the streets. That's it. Why? New York got a whole lot of people living with their mamas. All right, that two-bedroom apartment ain't got two people living in it. It's a bunch of people living in it. That's a whole lot of people outside smoking weed. 
it's going to be a lot of people in New York City outside smoking weed. And apparently, it's going to be some people having five pounds at the crib. Five pounds at the crib. Oh, and Jose, good call. Um, they also now can no longer search your car just because they smell weed in it. Yeah, like, like New York went all the way, baby. They went all the way. This is going to be a very interesting experiment to see how all of this uh, works out. I mean, shit, man, I remember the time in 07 that I got stopped and frisked. And I was good, but it happened. This seems to be a like far cry from that. Anyway, thought you'd like to know that, and I ain't have nothing else to start the show with, so there you go. That's what's in the news up here these days. Anyway, let us move on to your questions. Netflix purchased the rights to a Kanye West multi-part documentary for $30 million. What would need to be chronicled for you to tune in? I got to tell you, uh, what it would take for me to tune in really isn't that much about what's being chronicled. Um, I think it's what, Cootie and his man that are doing that doc? And they're the ones, so they, uh, Chica and Cootie, I think is what the, the, the team calls themselves. I met Cootie once in the park randomly. Um, but they directed the video for Through the Wire which isn't really germane to what we're talking about here, but they directed the 30 for 30 on Benji Wilson, a basketball player from Chicago who got killed in 1983. And I don't know if you have ever seen that documentary, but it is excellent. Like it is, it is very hard to do a documentary about a story that's kind of well-worn and told many times and to actually have a plot twist. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's a great piece of work. And so, you tell me that those dudes are doing this documentary. Yeah, I'll watch it. And a big part of why I'll watch it, if they're doing it, aside from the fact that, like, Kanye's gone off the rails, but I'd be curious to see how exactly that's happened, right? There's that part. But I don't get the feeling that Kanye is one of those people that is going to require i mean i don't know exactly what his agency and involvement is going to be in the production um but i don't think he's going to be the dude that's going to give us like a sanitized version and i could be wrong about that but i just don't think that he's the guy that is like ultimately going like i, I don't see it i don't see him as being the guy that's going to do that and one problem that I have with like all these documentaries that come out is like this Tina Turner documentary that we just saw. Like this, that's the most recent example, but there's plenty of them. Like Dwayne Wade did a documentary for ESPN. That thing falls into this, which is this category of documentaries that are in effect autobiographies and then wind up only being but so interesting because they keep out all the good shit because they're trying to like make themselves look better as opposed to actually putting out like a thoughtful, compelling film, you know? Um, like, that was the thing about the Biggie Smalls documentary, which obviously Biggie didn't have a handle in it, but it definitely seemed like his people did. Um, and I was like, wow, y'all got all this footage and this is the best you got? Like, how's that work? So, yeah, no, I'll, I'll absolutely watch a Kanye West uh, documentary. Assuming, now I have to say, I'm saying this assuming that it's biographical. 
Like, would I watch a documentary about, like, Kanye's life right now? No, nah, I'm not interested in that at all. But you tell me how we got here? Yeah, 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 I'm here for that. Like, I think, I think that could be, like, an excellent piece of work. So, yeah, I'll check that out. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Do you have a favorite made it just in time to the airport story? What a random thing to say. But I guess I have one I can throw out there. I just keep, what an odd question, but here we go. So I think I was flying to the All-Star Gang. I had to be flying somewhere on the West Coast because I was flying Alaska Airlines, which, I mean, you don't take Alaska Airlines from New York to D.C. So I'm running late to get on this plane. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm on borderline O.J. Simpson status. I'm nervous. I'm trying to break. I'm doing everything I can to get on that plane. And so I put my stuff on the conveyor belt, and I put the phone. I didn't put it. Uh, I don't think I put it in a bowl. Or I may put it in a bowl. Either way, but I put the phone out. I go through the x-ray. I mean, I go through the metal detector. All good. I look at the belt to get my stuff because I'm in a hurry. I see my phone is ringing. I answer the phone. I'm like, hello. All right. I'm glad I did, because when I answered the phone, the dude on the other end was like, hi, this is Josh from Alaska Airlines. Uh, the plane is about to take off, and I just wanted to see if you had made it to the airport. And I was like, I just got out of the x-ray. I am coming straight to you. And so I dragged all my stuff. I went. Sure, they saw me. I was the last person on the plane. They saw the board pass, you know, boop, boop, scanned it, got on, sat down, and then we went. And I did not tell you that flex per se but you just need to know they treat you different when you in first class like that was the wildest shit in the world to me like they really called to see if I was okay and if I was gonna get on this plane because they was gonna let that plane leave without me and never one time in my motherfucking life have I ever felt like a plane would not leave without me in fact every time I've been assured that the plane was going to leave without me like I ain't even really nobody like can you this actually makes me wonder if there are times where like famous people call up the airline and are like yo we gonna be about 10 minutes late and then they just hold up the plane like this suddenly became a realistic possibility to me that they could just call up and be like yo we gonna be there in five minutes trust me like you'd be sitting there on the you know you'd be sitting there with the plane like wondering like damn why have we not left I do not understand why we have not left why are we still here Man, it's entirely possible that, uh, I mean, I guess Tom Hanks ain't flying commercial no more, but you know what I mean. Moneybag Yo called up and was like, yo, I'm about to be there. And they're like, okay, Moneybag Yo, you fly our airline many times. Like, I don't even fly them that much. I ain't even got status with them. And they called me to make sure I was going to be there to get on the plane. Jose said he was going to ask if it was coach. Nah, I'm pretty transparent about this, baby. My days of coach are... D-U-N done. There are occasionally times where I look at what the situation is for the flight and it probably makes sense just to go ahead and get in coach and not spend that money. And I've done that, right? Like, you know, quick flight is going to be like an hour and a half or something like that. Okay, maybe not such a big deal. Why don't you just go ahead and get back there and coach? It'll save you a lot of money. Okay, man, I'll do that. Dog, I get back in there. The thing, the thing about coach, this, this is, I think, the biggest hassle with coach. And I think if they fix this, a whole lot of people would have a better feeling about coach, which is why they're not going to fix it, because people like me ain't never going to get back and coach again. It's like, why is this person so close to me? The biggest difference between coach and first class, aside from the leg room, right? The leg room is the thing. 
but underrated is you don't have that awkward trying to figure out how we're going to share this armrest. There, I, I've, I've never seen it established. Like, you know, apparently this is thing that people have about how it's bad manners to recline your seat on the airplane. And I'm sorry, I'm too tall, right? I suggest that you recline yours too, and we can just start a thing or whatever. But, you know, like, I got to find some way to make this work because them seats are absolutely not designed with your spine in mind, at least not back there. Uh, but anyway, is there like a rule that, you know, like y'all have about reclining? Is there a rule about the armrest? Like which armrest is yours? You know, are, you, are we supposed to get half of each? I really don't have a great answer. Because like the one good thing about being in an aisle in the window, aside from the fact that being in the middle just generally is whack, you get at least one full armrest to yourself. But, you know, the poor, the poor middle person, they don't get an armrest to themselves. They basically get one armrest for two arms. Half on one side, half on the other. A man said most people are right-handed. I take the right armrest with no remorse. I got two arms. You mean I can take one? Yeah, people talking about the window shade. Hey, man, only one person got agency over that window shade, man. This person sitting by the window. I ain't know that was the whole thing for people either, man. Like, it's all kind of stuff that come up with planes, and people get nervous, people get anxious. Always a high possibility that somebody could get in a fight, but nobody's going to really get into a fight because you're on a plane. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, airport thoughts. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Wow, another strange question. If you had to choose between being the same height but 100 pounds heavier, being the same build but a foot shorter, which one would you pick? Sir, have you ever seen a picture of me before? If I was a foot shorter and the same build, unless I'm going to ride horses for a living, not going that way at all. Like, this is a question that is far more relevant for heftier people. For me, nope, just go ahead and give me the 100 pounds. I'll probably still be slimmer than a lot of you. I didn't mean to throw that out there, Shade. Just trying to make the point. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. Did you check out the Steve Harvey verses with cameo appearances from Earth, Wind, and Fire and the Osley Brothers? Of course, I did watch it. Um, it was incredibly long, but I thought it was pretty entertaining. A um, lot of really good music. I didn't think we were going to get any performances out of them because when it first got going, they didn't seem to be too interested in playing their songs. And then eventually, I guess they got into the versus spirit and Ernie had brought his guitar, so maybe that was the plan. Uh, it was very interesting that like the ladies seemed to be all in to Ronald Isley and what they was calling his zaddy energy. I didn't think he was doing a very good job of the singing, but he's 79 years old. Like I understand uh, how that might go. And I would just like to just make a point right fast and something to consider because I see often on the internet in places where women, I think, have a rightful frustration at some times um, with the idea that men can get old and have a belly and all this kind of stuff like that and still be treated as though they are like attractive or virile or something like that and as women start to age um it is not received the same way um i like 100 percent get where they are coming from it is a little different in the ways that it goes and i would say that perhaps 
and not to hate on anybody, especially considering the fact that I myself am getting older every day, in fact, um, I would just simply like to say that like, ain't nobody telling you to sit on the internet all thirsty for Ron Isley in 2021. You doing that your damn self. Like, that is not, that, that is not the, uh, that, that, is not, that is not the patriarchy uh, holding you down. That is you making decisions that I don't necessarily understand all the time. But for whatever reason, it works for you. You know, so uh, go ahead and make that work. But I don't know why y'all like them dudes. If you said you didn't, I think I'd understand that too. Like, I don't have any reasonable expectation um, of a woman under 30, like, finding me attractive at this point. Like, I realize I am into, like, Chris Rock talked about he went on a date with Rihanna and she looked at him like an uncle. Like, yeah, I realize that I am moving into the uncle zone. And I know that because people on the internet occasionally call me unk. Like, this is where I am. Like, do I think that I look like I'm 40 years old? Do I think that I exude or give off 40 years old? I have no fucking idea what that means at this point in my life. I have no clue. I do not know. What does 40 year old mean? I don't. You tell me, man. I have no answer. Don't know. No clue. But I know that, like, ain't for so many people, like, in that young zone that's looking at me at this point. It's probably not going to happen. I've made peace with that. It's cool. But I do know it's a couple out there. I know. They out there. And I guess that's good enough. But again, I don't have a reasonable expectation of these things happening. I get it. And if, you know, I get older, get to be about 60 years old, and there's still women in their, like, 30s or whatever that look at me and like, oh, you giving me that kind of energy? I'm going to say thank you, and I'm going to appreciate it. But don't say I asked for it. You did that all by yourself. Anyway, moving on to the verses. Um, I thought y'all were a little hard on Steve Harvey. Um, I did not think he necessarily did a great job hosting, and I'm not sure how sober he was necessarily. But I tried to make the point on Twitter, and I do think there's something to it. That was like one of the greatest nights of Steve Harvey's life. Steve Harvey was on stage singing with the Osley Brothers and Earth, Wind & Fire at the same time. Like, it would be enough of a, like, bucket list situation if you got to go up and sing with one of them. He got to get up there and sing with both of them at the same time. I don't think he sounded bad necessarily, right? I think he sang well enough or whatever. But, like, I can't sing to save my life. I'd have gave it a go. If I'm under those circumstances, right? Like, what a big win for Steve Harvey. Um, but I did think in watching him that he was a bit nervous, right? Like, I mean, granted, he, he can be a little sensitive about these things anyway, but the way he was responding to the idea, the comments of what people saying about him, I don't know why the fools that were producing this even told him what anybody says. Yeah, you could have kept that to yourself. Um, but, like, he's a little thin-skinned about that stuff. And, like, they gave him a big job. These dudes said they would only do it if Steve Harvey was the one that was in the middle. And I, as person who has been in position to interview people that I know and that I came up, like, idolizing, and even like Steve Harvey is with these cats, people that I'm cool with, I get really, really, really nervous about some of those. Like, I don't think I'm going to be nervous till I get in it. And then I do. And, you know, it happens sometimes. And one thing I know about people when they get on TV, also I think just generally in life, I think this happens with people, that 
when folks get nervous and they're trying to like keep a conversation up, the default is to talk about self because that's the thing you know. You know, and so for Steve, we talking about like the soundtrack of his youth. And he's like, yeah, I remember where I was when I bought this album. I tell you what I did when I went to the concert. And so on one level, I think that's like valuable information of Steve Harvey talking about what the concerts and all that stuff was like. Because we don't, you know, we ain't got no frame of reference on that. But I also get how people felt like it was Steve Harvey centering Steve Harvey. But those cats were not loquacious, man. Like people were like, I wish you could have brought out, you know, got stories about their families and what they were thinking and what they were doing when they recorded this song. First of all, I need to tell you something, okay? Ain't all these story, ain't all these songs got no story behind them. These people make music for a living, all right? So, now granted, it's not the same kind of music, but you get me. But interviewed Two Chains a couple years ago. Uh, I forget which album it was that came out, but when it came out, and he's like, "Yeah, we we did fifty songs for this album, and then we picked like the best fifteen or whatever it was." Ain't no fifty stories. Like you weren't necessarily going to get what it was that you were looking for, especially not from Earth, Wind & Fire, because if you want songwriting stories, the songwriter isn't with us. Well, that's not happening, you know? And so I watched him, and he's talking to these dudes. You can barely hear Ron when he talks. Um, those cats were not, they were not Gladys Knight and Patti LaBelle. Like, they were ready to give you more on that front. These dudes weren't. And I tell you, man, it's tough when you ask some questions to people who really ain't got that much to say. Keep it in mind that they said, Steve, they, Steve, they said, those dudes said that Steve Harvey had to give them dudes a pep talk before they came out here. And y'all out here think you about to get a Barbara Walters special with Philip Bailey just because of that. By the way, speaking of Earth, Wind, and Fire, something that dawned on me that I didn't have an opportunity to share anywhere that I think you guys may find to be entertaining or perhaps humorous. So Philip Bailey and Verdine White, which of them thinks that the other's hair looks most ridiculous? Because I feel like the particulars may differ, but I feel like fundamentally they be saying the same thing about each other. Verdine be coming to the crib after he get tired of Philip complaining about, look at that, that ridiculous hair. And his woman be like, yeah, his ridiculous hair. <laughs> Same thing happening to Philip. He coming in there. Yeah, man, Verdine came in here. That silly perm. Can you imagine having hair that looked that silly? Yeah, whoo, whoo, yeah. wonder what that's like. You tell me. And, like, at least with Verdine and that perm, I mean, that's something that he can ride out all the way to the end. I mean, I'm not saying there's anything that I recommend, but it is something that he can ride out to the end. Philip Bailey, like, got him a young dude look. I guess that's like his early four, early to mid-40s when he started rocking that particular look. And now you just kind of stuck with it. Because once you do the dreadlocks and then you shave the sides, man, there's really only one place to go from there. Like, that's it. That's all you can do. Yeah, but hey, I bet they'd be looking at each other back and forth. Uh, anyway, um, I don't think about them versus things. It's no sort of battle no more. Here's what I realized. And, you know, some of you who have followed me for a while and know my musical taste know that I do not love Earth, Wind, and Fire. And so I'm watching his verses, and they're doing like 25 songs apiece. And I'm sitting here, like, somewhere between liking and loving 
every single one of the Earth, Wind, and Fire songs, you know, after the love is gone and less groove, you know, you know, but overwhelmingly, like I'm in on all this Earth, Wind, and Fire. And I've never said that I don't like Earth, Wind, and Fire. I've never said that Earth, Wind, and Fire was whack or anything like that. By the way, somebody in the chat room said, I've never seen Verdine and Nick Ashford in the same room, and I think you might want to consider that. Um, let me look this up. I don't think you're going to see, yeah, you're not going to see Nick Ashford in no rooms um, at this point, even though they don't look anything alike or even have the same hairdo. That, are you a Caucasian trying too hard? Um, anyway, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, Earth, Wind, and Fire. You ever have a group where you feel like you like their music or like their songs more than you like them? Because I think that's the conclusion that I reached about Earth, Wind, and Fire. Like, as a band and as a vibe, like, I appreciate this exquisite musicianship and that big sound and everything else. And I also know that if you played in a marching band, you love Earth, Wind, and Fire in a completely different way because you've had an opportunity to play every song in a songbook if you play in an Afro-American uh, marching band. And dude, like, how could you not like After the Love is Gone? That old Sunny 99.1 bullshit. Like, you go listen to Reasons and then ask me how I could not like After the Love is Gone. You can't tell the difference. But anyway, I realize I love, like, the sound of Earth, Wind & Fire goes, and I am a big Verdine fan. Verdine's a monster. But, like, I don't really like the songwriting, necessarily. But Earth, Wind & Fire has these moments and these codas that they can reach that are just like, oh, my God. So I think I've come to the final conclusion that my number one Earth, Wind & Fire song is I'll Write a Song For You. Now, if you know much about my musical taste, that probably surprises you because I think it's a little bit more, like, pretty than music I typically like because it is pretty until it's not. And after about like the three and a half minute mark when that starts breaking down, that is about drum and bass and Philip Bailey attacking that joint. Like it gets down at that point. If you give me a place in that urban fire where I can just listen to Verdine and go inside out on that joint and get some of that other stuff out the way, I am always down in here for it. But they ain't the damn Isley Brothers. Like that was the, what you saw, I think, for a lot of people in the verses is the difference that a great songwriter and a great singer make. Because Philip and Maurice, I would say, are very good singers. But I mean, Ron Osley is probably the greatest singer of his generation. And I don't know if there's been a singer better than him since. Like, if you got Ron Osley as a better singer than Marvin Gaye, I understand where you're coming from. I might agree with you, you know, like Ron, Ron is that good, right? And so make me say it again, girl. Earth, Wind, Fire ain't really got those. Not really like that, you know, like it, the, the songs themselves, even if you find Earth, Wind, Fire to be superior musicians, which is probably objectively true, it gets right there. And that's something that the Earth, Wind & Fire catalog doesn't really do. Again, I ain't throwing no shade at them and saying I don't enjoy them, but I got to have like a kind of intellectual voyage through what they were doing. Uh, somebody asked if they had any song that I wanted them to play that they didn't. I mean, nothing that I expected them to play. Like, I don't think they played Ain't I Been Good To You. I would love them to play that, but I know they're not going to play it there. By the way, shout out to dumbass Tony E. Talk about 
What was this one guy thinking on live like that? Did he forget he worked for the Mickey Mouse company? Stupid, did you forget that I work for the Mickey Mouse company? Lance, get him out of here. Tony. And if I could find out who the eight people were that voted it up, I'd get all of y'all out of there too. Morons. Anyway, I appreciate the question. Moving on. This New Yorker, curious to know, growing up in Houston, how has DMX fit in your childhood playlist? Dude, DMX's first album came out when I was a freshman in college. He doesn't fit into my childhood playlist at all. I said, I mean, DMX is really talented and really good, um, but I can't relate to what it's not about sound, right? Like, a lot of my favorite rappers are from New York. In fact, like, mid-90s East Coast rap is like the foundation of my shit, but um, I just didn't live a life that allows me to properly relate to all that angst that that young man was expressing. Like, people are like, yo, I felt DMX. No, no, no. I just always wonder if he's doing okay. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. As an older person, I'm starting to care less about bars, too. Are the kids getting to me? Eh. I mean, here's the thing for me about rap and bars. Bars are impressive, like, on their face. But not everybody with bars makes good songs. And typically what we're in it for is listening to songs. And so if the song is good in spite of the quote-unquote bars, you're going to rock with it. I mean, you do that in pretty much every other genre or anything else that you listen to. I don't know why you think that this would wind up being particularly different. The, the thing about the youngsters, though, is I don't think they have any value for bars. And that's not to say that they don't value somebody like who writes well or does well-written stuff. I'm not saying that. But I do think that just the intrinsic idea of, yo, I'm here because I be rapping my ass off. I don't know if the youngsters care about that. Like, and, but, but a big part of that, and I've talked about this before, and I'll say it again because I think it bears repeating and somebody's going to be hearing it for the first time. This generation doesn't feel any sense of ownership in like, what is fundamentally considered to be the culture of hip-hop and, you know, and rap and all that stuff. They don't, they inherited it, you know? So those of us who were there, you know, more early adopters, like Siri, Siri, Siri one investors, we care about that stuff in a different way. For them, the ability to rap is just another thing to throw into the pot and turn into something that at least in theory should be their own. But I still contend that there has not been a significant, at least black American that I can think of, like new musical movement since hip hop. Like, by now, there should be another jazz. There should be another soul. There should be another hip-hop. That hasn't happened. It's like the kids have access to so much stuff going back and so much connection that you don't have almost the kind of isolation and incubation that you need for somebody to come up with something new. Like, I'm trying to think about the last time somebody just, like, blew me away with a new sound. Where he's like, yo, I ain't never heard nothing that sounded like this before. That doesn't really happen. It's not really where we are, you know? And that part, and that's the thing that's kind of whack. But yeah, no, like, as you go, like, it's cool to cats can wrap their asses off, but I think you are probably now more concerned with the story and the groove. And that makes sense. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. 
Dude, as what was it like during the Clark days of DJ Drama and his mixtapes? I went to college with DJ Drama. I was out of college by the time of what you were talking about. Y'all just don't be thinking. I know recreational sadness isn't your thing, but have you been keeping up with the Chauvin trial? Has anything been surprising or interesting about it? I got a serious question, and I'm not telling people what they should do. I'm not passing judgment on anybody. What are you getting out of paying attention to that trial? Like, serious question. If that's, if that's what you're doing, if you are watching it, what are you getting out of that? Because I'm not, I'm not paying attention to it. I don't think there's anything for me to get. Whether they convict or not doesn't mean anything in terms of the macro level issue. My expectation is that they will not convict because that's pretty much what happens every single time. Um, but if you are following, what are you checking for? Like, like, especially if you're watching it on television. Like, if you're reading, like, the recap of what happened just because you want to be informed about how the trial is going, okay, I get that. But, like, if you're sitting and watching this on TV and really obsessing over it, like, it's, I feel like it's one thing with some of these, like, poor TV type stuff and cases where there's, like, some level of legitimate mystery or something like that. Like, the O.J. Simpson trial. I see why somebody would be fully invested in that and, like, trying to check for every twist and turn and everything else. This... Just setting yourself up to be mad when the dude doesn't get convicted. And then if he does, what the hell is there to be happy about? Like, I was thinking about this once. And this is just me and my wiring. I'm not saying anything about anybody else, right? If someone were to murder a person very close to me in my family, I don't know if I would go to court to, like, watch it. Why? Like, what, what, what will that ultimately do? Again, I'm not, I'm not saying that to cast any judgment on people who do it. Like, I think it feels like something you probably should do, if nothing else. But, like, I'm not a particularly vengeful sort. So, it's just like, I don't, I don't, like, I, like, I don't know if that would be something that would actually give me some satisfaction. Like, that, that doesn't... I don't believe that the world makes people pay when they do bad things. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. You know, but I don't I don't think I need to, you know, to be there for another referendum on whether or not that is true. And so with this case, that man ain't coming back. It ain't happening. The conviction ain't going to change nothing. The conviction itself ain't going to change nothing about the way they do business. I just don't I don't I don't know. Like, what am I going to get? So no, I'm not paying attention to it. I mean, you're more than welcome to. But I'm not really even paying attention to what the tenor of the coverage is or anything else. But I've said made this point many times before and I will make this point again which is do not allow them to exploit your outrage remember that now as dude Xavier in the chat room says about watching the trial it gives people a sense of holding them accountable I mean what and I'm just saying that for me that doesn't really do anything for me it doesn't that's just generally not my job to hold people accountable and I'm not an overseer of this and I don't really expect people to be held accountable in the aggregate. I don't. So, I mean, if they are held accountable, woo, do what you're supposed to do. If they're not, your heart's going to be broken. I mean, ain't a lot of winning in that. And I know that I can be a bit like, I don't know, algorithmic about these things, but that's just my thought. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. 
How would a successful Parliament Funkadelic Versus look? Would they need an opponent, or would it be better to have the two bands talking and playing hits? So the thing is, it's not really two bands. It's like a whole bunch of people that make a bunch of different kind of stuff. They're not separate bands in that regard. So that part would not work. The other part is, I don't think anybody's still cool with George. Like, I've seen George live, and when you go see George, like, it's George and a bunch of his family members, because George ain't got no money, and George ain't good at paying people. Now, if you were to ask me who I would put on the other side of the P-Funk Collective in something like that, it's hard to beat them on Depth of Catalog just because they put out so much music. Like, that, that part would then become difficult, but I would think sonically the most reasonable band to put on the other side would probably be the Ohio players. Somebody saying Bootsy versus George. How is it going to be Bootsy versus George when all of Bootsy's best stuff is produced by George? Brody, Brody, it's okay. You don't have to be so anxious. You know who Bootsy Collins is. All of us are impressed, my brother. But yeah, the Ohio Players seems like it'd be the most reasonable band that I would think that you would put on the other side. Or like Sly, except, I mean, whew, you think it's hard to do an interview with, uh, with Ernie Osley. Uh, or even, you know, you sure can't get Sly to show up on time. You have to do that thing from Sly's van. He ain't getting out. Somebody put Sly with a question mark in there. Why, why, are you, why are you putting a question mark by Sly? Is that because you don't know who Sly is? Or, because uh, it's not possible that you are trying to minimize the greatness of Sly. You can't be doing that. Now, I see a question in the chat room that I will handle. This is from, uh, who's this? Corey. And Corey says, thoughts on Killer Mike. God damn it, why would you have to start it with thoughts? Like, is that your first time here? Why don't you just ask, Corey, what is your question? Thoughts. He says, kind of a contradiction to what his lyrics are in Run the Jewels. Yeah, they are. And? Like, in Run the Jewels joints, bang. They are great. It's fantastic music. In real life, Killer Mike traffics in politics the way black people in Atlanta traffic in politics, which is largely moderately and with an eye toward the business community. That's kind of how things get done down there. But no, he is not kicking it in his endeavors in the way that he does on his songs. That is correct. I feel like whatever your complaints are about him, and a lot of them are legitimate in terms of how he conducts his political business, the music ain't even really got nothing to do with that. I'll just tell you this. If he did music about meeting the governor and taking pictures with him, that would not be nearly as jamming. Believe you me. All right. Appreciate the question. Let's see if we got some more here. What level of anticipation do you have for the upcoming Silk Sonic album? Honestly, at this point, zero. Not that I won't listen to it. Not that I'm not interested in it. But it's going to be basically a Bruno album with Andy on it. I don't... Like, I think Bruno Mars is talented. I think the two of them could do an album. But I don't... I'm down to hear an Andy album 
with some Bruno thrown in. Like somebody saying the single was, was weak. No, the single was dope. But in classic Bruno Mars fashion, it kind of sounded like somebody else did it. Yeah. I don't want an album full of stuff that sounds like it was already made. It's a very Lenny Kravitz, Lenny Kravitzy quality that Bruno Mars has. And that ain't really me. You know? So I will check it when it comes out. But I'm not, like, anticipating it. Does that make sense? Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. We are out of questions I feel like answering. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on the Evening Jones. We try to do this thing about once a week. My man Lance Gilliam handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Remember, if you cannot watch the Evening Jones live, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the iTunes. We don't list them anymore. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. I'll talk to you guys next week. Take it easy. The Evening Jones is an old soul production. Creative direction and design is provided by Kareem Gilliam for Oh My's Creative Design.